You're listening to Nightmare on Film Street. The current time is 6.66. Traffic is clear ahead from here to the afterlife. But it's hell outside. For the next hour, you're on Nightmare Time. So, let's give a grave welcome to our hosts, John and Kim. Hello again, fiends, and welcome to Nightmare on Film Street, the horror movie podcast for the casually obsessed. I'm John. I'm Kim. And we're taking you back to the summer of 97. Yeah, and we say horror movie podcast very loosely this week. (laughs) Yeah, no, this is definitely just a guilty pleasure pick. Honestly, I think you guys are going to love it. (laughs) Yeah, who's going to be upset about us talking about Nicolas Cage and John Travolta in Face Off? Uh, Yeah, maybe not a horror movie, but as far as action movies go, this one's pretty fucking wild, guys. It is the most genre-heavy, sci-fi, dystopian action movie. These motherfuckers take their faces off. Yeah, and every character dies, pretty much, so I say that it is acceptable. (laughs) Yeah, uh, also maybe one of the only movies I've seen more times than Evil Dead 2. This is one of those like wore out the VHS tape at home with my brother growing up just on constant repeat, just face off, face off, face. Also with the same, with the other movie we're going to be talking about next week, just on on constant repeat. And every single time, it's an A-plus movie. I've seen it a thousand times, and it always delivers. You want to hear a really funny story before we get started about the first time I watched Face Off? Yes, I do. So the little girl uh, who lived across the street from me mm-hmm. was having her birthday party. How old? How, how old? Well, I moved away from there when I was 11 or 12, so it was like 9, 10, we'll say. Okay. <laughs> young, young, young. So three or four years after the movie came out, got it. Oh, maybe it was even younger than that then, because for a treat for her birthday, her dad took her to Blockbuster to rent a movie uh, for us to watch at the party. She picked face off? She came back. We were all, like, eating pizza and whatever. They went to rent the movie during the party. I don't know why. Um, But they came back. We were all hanging out in the basement. She brings back fucking face off. Amazing. So it was a bunch of little girls. (laughs) (laughs) Watching Face Off and eating cake. Were you all talking about what movie she might pick while she was gone? You're like, oh, I hope she gets the Water Boy or something. Like, what else came out that year? <laughs> the new Adam Sandler thriller. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, we fucking watched Face Off. And- That's incredible. She did a good job. She picked a good one. <laughs> what a killer girl's birthday party. Uh, I don't know if we had any understanding of what was going on, but we enjoyed it. <laughs> that is the beauty of a John Woo movie. Uh, you know, he's kind of he kind of helped set the he template. He films for everyone. He- 8-year-old girls. <laughs> Well, his his fight sequences, like his, he kind of popularized the gun the gun fu style, which is now John Wick is the gun is the gun fu that we have. Uh, but you know, the idea of like people going in with guns in both hands, just you know, shooting at each other from across a, a that tight room instead of punching each other. Hey, Caster Troy's like double golden guns are pretty sweet. Yeah, no, they look real good. We're we're already excited to talk about the movie. <laughs> uh, if you haven't heard of Face Off before, it's a mid '90s action movie uh, about a terrorist and a counter terrorist officer who swap faces. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure what his official title is. He works for a bureau. Yeah, who knows what bureau? <laughs> John Tra- John Travolta is the good guy in the movie at the beginning, and he 
thinks he's killed his arch nemesis, played by Nicolas Cage, uh, but turns out he's just in a coma. They, you know, they don't know where he's planted some gigantic bomb that's gonna level half of the Los Angeles, so he has to go undercover in prison to interrogate the guy's brother, and the only way to do it is to is to become his enemy. <laughs> Oh, it's incredible. It's the highest concept Hollywood's ever made. <laughs> My favorite thing about it, too, though, is like all of the stuff you think will be the biggest hurdle in like suspending your disbelief. Done Blow in, right past Done it. in 30 seconds. We don't know anything about the tech. We do not care. <laughs> Doesn't matter. There are so many leaps. There's a scene where where Nicolas Cage as John Travolta. Is this going to be one of your three good things? <laughs> I don't think I don't think that's one of my my good things. It's a little vague, but there are some pretty great scenes where people have to sort of just uh, explain to friends and family members the elaborate plot of this movie, and everybody goes, "Cool, got it." But as far as good things go, we can get right into that. My first good thing uh, is probably just Nicolas Cage, high on drugs, saying, "I want to take his face off," and he says it like eighteen times. <laughs> That whole scene is really good. I want to talk about that. Uh, that is a whole good thing for me, just in general. That scene is fucking crazy. Yep. My, I'll I'll do for number two. It's another Nicolas Cage moment. Surprise, surprise. Of course it is. We're definitely going to talk about this scene in detail because it's the horroriest scene of the film. But Nicolas Cage wakes up from his coma and he's got no face. And what does he do? He smokes a cigarette. <laughs> it's the fucking best. Just hanging out in the operating room, smoking cigarettes with no goddamn face. It's, have you ever heard of anything as metal as that? <laughs> Number three good thing is that the, the middle chunk of this movie takes place in a dystopian future prison where all the prisoners have magnetic boots that, yeah, that we, zap them down to the floor. We really don't even talk about how weird that fucking prison is that's a whole that prison is a whole movie (laughs) it is a whole movie and the uh evil scientist slash doctor of the prison is played by joe bob briggs i fucking forgot yeah just a cute just a crazy little cameo from joe bob right before Nicolas cage breaks out of the future dystopian prison yeah because they electroshock the prisoners when they're bad like what in wh- what? <laughs> I, I, I love it. There's a million good things about this movie. There are, I'll say it right now, zero bad things about this movie is probably the best way to review it. All great things. All great things. Most of them Nicolas Cage things. And we're going to get into or it. Or John Travolta as Nicolas Cage things. <laughs> no, we'll, we'll, talk, we'll have to talk about that in a little more detail. I have some thoughts on John Travolta in this movie. Um, but we're going to toss to the trailer. When we get back, we're going to talk about Face Off. I've been uh, chasing this guy ever since I joined the force. He he has no conscience and he uh, he shows no no remorse. He's the mastermind behind numerous bombings and political assassinations. He uh, has a felony list a mile long: murder, arson, kidnapping, terrorism, you name it. He's the most dangerous and brilliant criminal mind I've ever known. I, for years, I've, I've been watching him, tracking him, studying his every every move. I know his every every mannerism, facial tick, gesture. I know him better than he knows himself. And now, after all this time, I finally figured out a way to trap him. 
I will become him. I don't care if I live. You're not having any fun, are you, Sean? Try terrorism for hire. We'll blow some stuff up. It's more fun. Plan B. Let's just kill each other. Face Off is current face slash off is currently sitting at a 7.3 out of 10 on IMDb, 92% on Rotten Tomatoes. Maybe the one of the highest Rotten Tomatoes ratings we've done in this podcast for before. an action film too. Right? Oh, it's so nice to see Rotten Tomatoes on the right side of history. <laughs> but you know the the crazy thing is like we talk about movies with really redonkulous premises, premises. Mm-hmm. And I would say that this is one of the wilder and least explained premises in a film I've ever seen. Yep. And the fact that Rotten Tomatoes is like 92. Love it. It's the best. <laughs> and uh, 3.5 out of 5 on Letterboxd. One thing I would do want to do at the top of the show is just give the film credit. It's not the highest brow thing. It's, it's fun. It's wild. It's weird. But the fucking title? You like the title. It's fucking good. Yeah. Well, because it's... It's two guys that are going against you, like their arch nemesis. Exactly. They've been they've been uh, fighting each other for years, so of course it's a face off between the two of yeah. them. Yeah. But then they just they they t- everything about this movie takes a concept and just <laughs> just injects a shit ton of crystal meth into it. But then they literally take their faces off. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, the open and this movie just has. Balls like you've never seen before. <laughs> the in balls act. on this movie. The opening scene of the movie is a guy shooting a kid in the head. <laughs> like that's the opening of the movie. And can I say, honestly, the guy, that was so long ago, I hardly remember. The guy who kills that kid becomes the lead protagonist of the film. Like, <laughs> or at least the face of that guy becomes the lead protagonist <laughs> of the film. Like, we show Nicolas Cage as as uh, Caster Troll. Uh, you know, domestic terrorist extraordinaire doing all kinds of awful shit. And then 10 minutes later, you're like, oh, man, I really hope this guy gets out of it. OK, uh, like he, he he murders a child technically by accident while wearing a, a criminal mustache. I honestly the shot of him with the mustache sipping out of the stripy straw was <laughs> I look like Freddie Mercury. I'm going to fucking print it out and put it above our bed. That's so great. So he's trying to kill John Travolta who's doing like a bunch of weird dad stuff with his, his son. In he, slow-mo with weird music box yeah, music. Yeah. You've got that sort of montage that John Woo montage where it's just like <laughs> oh yes there's lots of laughs. I We're, love of this We're carousel in, oh, so much joy. Nothing could go wrong here in this slightly slow motion memory of ours. <laughs> Surely no one will die. Look at these beautiful doves. There couldn't possibly be a sniper gun hidden somewhere on a hill above us. <laughs> Let me touch your face all weird. He does that so <laughs> much in this movie. That's like his thing. His love language is just like running his hand down people's faces. Honestly, if somebody did that to me, and I don't care if it's your thing, that is really insulting. And, but every, Don't touch my face like that. Everybody, Well, especially if you're wearing a whole bunch of makeup, too. Like, it's just a shit just move. Just don't touch my face! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he, he does that to every member of his family, and they're all just like, 
they're they're really comforted by it and he even does it to try and like apologize like oh honey come here <laughs> like, he does it to a photograph halfway through the movie <laughs> it was a weird choice and it was definitely one I, I'm gonna say that this was a John Travolta choice <laughs> The, it, it comes into play in, in later it on in the movie. It does become a plot thing. Which is... So that's the thing. It's as, <sighs> as lud- like, Everything about this movie is ludicrous, including that little detail, but they use it in an interesting way before, before the movie ends, and in a way that it, it conveys information to other characters. He convinces his, his wife who he is by touching her face inappropriately. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A stranger touches her face weird, and she's like, oh, that's my husband. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, the, the body of the, the guy who murdered her, her young infant son. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> who they've just had like a six-year hate packed with. The, the, their, their entire household is... Like, kill Caster Troll. <laughs> yeah, like, all they talk about is how he ruined their life and how sad they are and how happy they're going to be when they could finally murder him. <laughs> like, he comes home from work and he's like, it's done, honey, he's gone. But, uh, but yeah, John Travolta, unsurprisingly, has just become, like, a crusty, you know, shell of a man who's, at all costs, trying to stop this billionaire domestic terrorist. This really cool terrorist. I know, right? He's got fucking trench coats and gold guns. When he gets to the airport, his henchman meets him with like a cool little gun box that is filled with tons of goodies inside, including like guns, joints, uh, you know. Blue pills and chiclets Oh, they're probably Viagra, right? That's got to be what it was. Well, they t- they take it later on, and they're fucked up. So okay. I don't think it's Viagra. Not Viagra, just fun fun drugs instead. Yeah, yeah, chiclets, and that's what he grabs. He grabs a pair of sunglasses and some chiclets. What do you think of his sunglasses? His fucking like he looks ruby like, red octagon sunglasses. Honestly, looks str- like a vampire straight out of um anime. <laughs> I was gonna say modern day Bram Stoker's Dracula, but modern oh, yeah. day Bram Stoker's Dracula is like 1882. Oh uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm talking about, like, cool hair, oceans of time, Dracula. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You bring him up a lot. Because uh, he's dreamy. <laughs> anyway, John Travolta gets wind that, you know, Caster Troy is going to leave the country. He's flying out with his baby brother, Pollux Troy. That's how they found out that he's going to be at the airport. So they converge plot. with, like, 18, <laughs> SU- I know, 18 SUVs and a whole bunch of helicopters. And to they chase stop a the plane, plane down. It's the greatest. Okay, but we got to talk about this plane sequence because you made the best point while we were watching the film about how Sean Archer currently played by John Travolta, waits for no one. He He's overseen by no one. He's got no oversight. He's got no clearance issues. In the middle of this showdown, he is trying to stop a plane with his Hummer. And then they see that, oh, the undercover agent who terribly portrayed a flight attendant who looked like an FBI agent the entire time Mm -hmm. is being held hostage in the cockpit. And so he's like, oh, fuck, we got to move. And then they like still continue to chase him down. He hijacks a helicopter to chase after them. He's like putting the helicopter on the wing of the plane so it can't take off. How he got from that Hummer to a helicopter so fast is insane (laughs) to me. Also, this is the longest fucking uh, takeoff track in the world. It's like a 20-minute runway. Thank you. It's just a twenty-minute sequence, and this plane is not has still not run out of track. But you're like you're so right. He goes guns blazing in with no intel, with no, with no understanding of what he's up against. They basically just had a rough rumor he might be here, and half of his team fucking dies. Oh yeah. And then at the end, when they're like congratulating him because surprise, surprise, uh, he gets Castor Troy at the end of that scene. 
they're all proud. They get him champagne. Like the like the head you, of the CIA wants to talk to him. You fucking did it, man. No, like, no, no. It's the isn't it the president? No, it's no, you're that's right. later. That, yeah, sorry. <laughs> and he's like, "What about these guys that all fucking died?" Yeah, let's give it up Chester. for McManus. Oh, <laughs> uh, let's give it up for Anderson. Okay. Oh man, like, they died because you wouldn't yeah. call it a fucking day when you lost. You're the guy who's responsible for their deaths, and you're mad at them for congratulating you on something that you've been yelling at them for. For, for six years. The opening of the movie is him basically just screaming in everybody's faces. Like, how come we can't get anything fucking done around here? We'll take a break when the case breaks. Actual line from the movie. It's pretty great. Um, but yeah, like, he, there's a whole lot of exposition from him about, like, what he does, where they are, and, and their position in their case so far. About how they're, they're so secretive of an agency that when they snap their fingers, nothing happens. <laughs> Yeah, but they finally they finally get their man. They kill a bunch of henchmen after, unfortunately, you know, they killed his undercover FBI agent. They arrest uh, Nicholas Cage's brother, Pollux Troy, who's kind of the architect of the of the bombs. He he makes the bombs. He creates the uh, the, the programming and the timing for all these bombs. Nicholas Cage seems like the guy who I don't know. He's the poster boy of crime. Yeah, he calls the shots. It does seem like he delivered the bombs to the L.A. Convention Center at the beginning of the movie. And not very, uh, like, low-key or secretive. He's wearing, a, like, a priest outfit. He's got his monk haircut. Yeah, he, yeah. In, he's he, undercover, Kim. He interrupts a choir. He sexually assaults uh, one of the choir performers. Who's probably 17. Which is, like, he's foreshadowing sexually, for when he's maybe going to... He sexually assaults a lot of people in this movie. So that's what I'm he's getting at. He's got a bum-slapping thing. They do such a great job of making him an evil son of a bitch. And then two minutes later, you're like, that's my guy. That is one of the greatest moves of this whole movie. Not not even just Nicolas Cage. There's a scene before uh, John Travolta has done the body swap with Nicolas Cage, where John Travolta's still the good guy who's mad that he doesn't know where the bomb is. And he's interrogating Nicolas Cage's crew, like all of his henchmen. People that he knows are probably... Uh, responsible or at least helped in the creation of this bomb that they can't find. Mm -hmm. And the bad guy's like, hey, Sean, how's your dead son? <laughs> and he laughs in his face. And it's like, wow, we, these guys are tough and shitty and they don't give a fuck about anything. And then half an hour later, you're buddies with that guy. And you're you're actually with the crew of, of you know, terrorists and you're like these are good people like they're they they they, ha they have bad occupations but they're good people <laughs> and their layers are fucking sweet <laughs> yeah and then when they you know they all die eventually you you kind of feel bad for them the movie does an incredible job of sort of like flipping a coin on damn near every character in the movie that is very true. And for some reason as well, they play such bigger roles in the film than you think they would. This, this is a lot of movie. There's yeah. so much movie in this movie. Like when characters die, we treat them with their first name, last name. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like uh, that guy I'm talking about specifically who's taunting John Travolta with his dead son. He he dies protecting his sister and her child. Uh, and <laughs> Nicolas Cage as Sean Archer, who, who clearly hates this guy, feels sad for him dying and then he also he also gets a cool death because he's he's clearly shot in the neck and when he takes his hand away just the fucking geyser of oh, blood it's comes so out so good yeah like and you, like you turned up a fucking cherry red soda oh it's so good <laughs> 
What about the face-off operation scene, Kim? How do, uh, you, how do you like that? Well, it's fucking phenomenal because the movie at this point is just trying to get us there. We just want to switch faces. We're 40 minutes into the movie and they haven't switched faces yet. And you, it feels like we're still just like scratching the surface. Like it, it's, it's an almost two and a half hour movie and it fucking flies. Yes. And so they present this, this possibility to Sean Archer because at this point, Sean thinks he has killed Caster Troy in the whole plane fiasco. But then they take him to some secret covert hospital and Caster Troy is in a coma. You're right. He has like a break dead. He's like, you're keeping him alive. <laughs> <laughs> but they're like, but wait, we have this technology we can take his face. <laughs> yeah. And they show him two computer screens with full body 3D scans of both of them. And they're like, we'll just uh, nip tuck your tummy and we'll, Get rid of these love handles. Uh, we'll change your hairline a little bit. We'll put these prosthetics on your face and boom, you're Caster Troy. Yeah. Soften your butt chin. <laughs> it's the greatest. I mean, the faces look a little weird when we're in the actual operating room and they're like laser cutting everything off. Um, but I don't, I just love that they're, they're basically using the same technology you would use for creating a mold for a prosthetic appliance in special effects. We've got a piece of plastic here that's form-fitted to the inside of yeah, your face. they, that, like, vacuum seal the face they've cut off to lift it off. Right, and they're just like... And then <laughs> they, they, they put it into a fucking tank of saline. It is the coolest goddamn scene. And then, oh, the best part about it is when they lift... They lift Ke- Nicolas Cage's face and they put it on top of John Travolta's head. And then you just see them sloughing the skin around to, like, get it to fit properly. Looks great. Uh, they didn't reattach any nerve endings, They though. said they, just, they did. They, they said they're it, gonna. <laughs> they just put it right on top of his face. Yeah, they're like, oh, we got this perfect little thing. It'll line up all your nerve endings and everything so you can move it around and whatnot. Uh, it's, it's it's science, Kim. It all works. Yeah. You and gotta it, believe in the process. <laughs> it's, it's funny, too, because you were mentioning like the crazy futuristic prison, which I didn't even like factor into my reasoning. I was like, this is really crazy tech for present day because nothing about this film is anything but the 90s like i'm particularly Very thinking 90s. i'm particularly thinking of john travolta's daughter jamie because she's got this punk rock goth rebellious phase she's in and she screams the era that we're in she yes. screams no- summer of 1997 yeah 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 but when they're doing this face off surgery like this is technology that is 200 years in the future they are doing the incisions around the face with lasers when the face is actually reattached to the different person there are no scars there's they, they, no... they have to adjust his vocal cords like they can literally just make it match my face my... they use like a, the, the same fictional sound box from the scream film but <laughs> that's very true the best part about that is that the audio bite they have, like, hey, can you just repeat this phrase? The same way you would, you know, when you're setting up a new iPhone, you're like, hey, She's Siri. Yes, I, well, I could eat a peach for hours is a line that he used right before he killed the FBI agent. Uh, you know, he's like hitting on her by saying that. And uh, so they just have him saying that over and over and over again until they just like tweak John Travolta's voice to like fade into Nicolas Cage's voice. 
Love that. And then the fact, too, that they're just like, hey, you got to be real careful with this because, uh, you know, like a bump or a hit or even a really hard sneeze could knock this out of place and it couldn't work properly. But then the rest of the movie, he spends getting punched, shot at, jumping out of buildings, and the vocal box is totally fine. I mean, it fucks up a little bit near the end, but I think it's only temporary. I think that's after he gets punched in the throat. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah not that crazy high-speed boat chase where he goes through the Coast Guard. Through the Coast Guard. They drive a fucking boat through a boat. It's incredible. <laughs> I guess there's two surgery scenes, and I kind of want to talk about the second one. Okay. Because so after they successfully switch Nicolas Cage's face onto John Travolta's face, so John Travolta's Sean Archer is now playing Caster Troy. We didn't think this would be so hard to talk about. He looks like Caster Troy. This is an audio medium, so this is really hard. We really need a slideshow presentation. <laughs> yeah. So Sean Archer is Caster Troy. He goes to prison. We can just say the good guy and the bad guy. That might be the best way to do yeah, but it. But the good guy is playing the bad guy. It's oh, very okay. confusing. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah. So they leave actual Caster Troy with no fucking face. Yeah, he's just bandaged up. They just have, like, cloths on his face. Yeah, you'd think they'd need to, like, keep it wet so that way... Because maybe they don't give a fuck about putting the face back on, right? Because John Travolta's face is in a tank. <laughs> yeah, it's just on ice. It's just ha- hanging out. <laughs> and so Caster Troy wakes up. He realizes he has no fucking face. And then he sees John Travolta's face, like, floating in a fish tank. And he figures it all out. <laughs> and he's like, I'm gonna fucking take his face. I believe the actual quote is... Ah! Like, those are the sounds that he makes when he wakes up. And, like, to his credit, he's got no lips. He's got no (laughs) eyelids. Nicolas Cage in this sequence is fucking inspired. Because, yeah, he's making a phone call to his henchmen, like, his crew, saying, like, they took my fucking face, but it's fine. We're gonna fix it. I'm gonna take his. And then they, you know, he gets them to... Uh, He gets them to kidnap the doctor and bring him back to the operating room to sort of complete the procedure. But his performance on the phone like he's a shadow we don't see him we can only hear his voice but he's not finishing syllables he's not making b's or p's because he can't and he he sounds like a monster it's the best invisible man scene in a non-invisible man film yeah it is so good like you could master class that scene for like iconic horror monsters and how they shoot it too because they don't want it to be too gory like it's a lot of like his hands being terrifying like his bloody hand from touching his face is like pulling down the slatted blinds and you're like oh this is this is monster movie goodness but you can totally see that they're they're cutting around the scene when he is applauding the doctor. He's he's hanging out, listening to classical music, watching the procedure, eating all the pain medication he can find in the lab and smoking a pack of cigarettes that he found somewhere. With no lips. No lips. <laughs> Still smoking cigarettes. Love it. Uh, but when the, the henchmen bring the doctor and he's like, oh, congratulations, doctor, on your work. I'm just watching some of your greatest hits here. And he's, you know, standing up, giving him the, the you know, the standing ovation, saying bravo. And we get quick cuts, sort of seeing what his face looks like um they are definitely editing around what they originally wanted to do with that for sure because it's just flashes of gore you only actually see his full fucked up face in the reflection of the doctor's glasses when he sort of like walks up to him and says like let's get to fucking work it looks great it looks awesome it looks gory and shit i wish we could have seen it more 
it you know what's kind of crazy that we haven't mentioned this yet on the podcast that they announced they're doing like a requel remake whatever yes. and that Nicolas Cage and John Travolta are gonna be in it can't wait <laughs> it's the one time I'm not gonna complain about remaking a movie from the 90s yeah I really just it's fine go yeah let's do it do it I don't know how we're going to honestly but- maximalist movies deserve maximalist sequels yes this movie really takes everything to level 10. Uh, even in just the character relationships in the movie, they really dive into some of the implications of these two guys switching identities. But it, 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 I don't know, it also does a great job of just like following threads that the the beginning of the movie has sort of like laid out. And then it before it brings you to like this no man's land where you're not really sure what anybody's like what the point of all this is anymore because originally uh sean archer's going undercover to find out where the bomb is he discovers where that bomb's located but before he can tell anybody caster troy has taken his body and now is walking around pretending like they've got the real caster troy in prison well and he fucking kills every single person that knew about this secret right mission. oh yeah because this is a black op operation like it can't be on the books no one can know about it it's literally just like you me and the doctor and that's it and, and the one guy that's holding your wedding ring yeah oh t- poor tito <laughs> yeah they, they all got doused in gasoline lit on fire so now the only people in the world who know that they have swapped faces are the two guys who've swapped faces that and a few bad guys. I think a few. he lets a few bad guys know. I think he lets his brother know once he releases him from jail. Yeah. But then, you know, he, he, Sean Archer, now a villain, John Travolta, the bad guy, has no problem telling the CIA or the, F, or the, the FBI or whoever where the bomb is. They defuse the bomb. He saves the day. And you're like, okay, so now the bomb isn't the problem Yeah, anymore. which is such a weird reversal because it makes it like a plot MacGuffin. Like, the whole reason why we switched faces was for this fucking bomb yep. that was going to decimate a mile radius in, the, in downtown wherever. And bomb's disarmed. Yeah. Now it's just like... I'm stuck in I'm stuck in this body. <laughs> now it's just Freaky Friday. <laughs> yes. But him and his brother hatch this plan where they can use the government to more or less go after all of their competition in the terrorist world, you know? And then once all of those guys are out of the way, they can become the big bad guys again. But then his brother gets killed, so that plan's out the window. So, like, it's like at every turn, the the plan keeps getting foiled until it's literally just we need to kill each other. Like, it takes two and a half hours to get there, but ultimately that's all it is. Just like, I want to kill that motherfucker, and he wants to kill me, and one of us isn't getting out of here alive, and then I'm getting my face back. <laughs> <laughs> and and that's that's the whole goddamn movie. And it, they I th- just I they think, keep funneling you know, them toward it. I think it. the reason why we have to get to that point is because they have to be nemes- nemesis, nemeses? I think so. Without fucking up each other's faces. Without fucking up, oh. <laughs> the faces must be retained. They have to keep the faces intact. Which is make doesn't make any sense for that crazy-ass boat fight they have, because, like, dying on a boat, dying via boat, dying in the water. You could hit the propeller on your way down. Yeah, like, not great for faces. But- also, like, bloating... I th- it's not a good spot if you want to preserve a face. But that fucking image at the end of the movie where he's just got like a fucking sharp piece of boat metal and he's just like cutting off his face while they're fighting. Incredible. Such a Caster Troy move. Yeah, what a dickhead. What do you think? So we haven't really talked much about performances. What do you think? Well, I'll start like this. What do you think of John Travolta? Because he's, he's, 
he's kind of an annoying dude in the beginning of the movie as the good guy. What do you think of John Travolta as a bad guy? Because that's not really like a thing he's super known for at this time. It's hard to say because there are there are moments of brilliance in both of their performances where you're like, ooh, that that's really Nicolas Cagey, or like, ooh, that that sounds like. Not Nicolas Cage. <laughs> yeah, <There's, laughs> those are really the two levels. Anytime John Travolta like tries to sing a little bit, you're like, "Ooh, Nicolas Cage would do that." <laughs> There's a lot of scenes where Nicolas Cage sings in this movie. Well, yeah, like in anytime um, Caster Troy as Sean Archer like puts his hands out in that motion, yeah, where he's like doing basically <clears throat> like the Jesus pose, a big John Woo thing. Uh, very Caster Troy. I don't know if my disbelief is suspended the entire way through the film for either of them. Really? I think Nicolas Cage does an incredible job in this movie. They both do a great job. So Nic- Nicolas Cage but is... But not necessarily because they're doing a great job. I, I don't know. Like, I think... I don't know if people give Nicolas Cage enough credit in this movie for acting the fuck out of that role. Because he is unhinged Nicolas Cage in the beginning. And we all love that. He can do that every day of the week. And he does it exceedingly well. <laughs> uh, but when he becomes Sean Archer in Nicolas Cage's body... He does. I think he does a great job of like being like the, the the tortured character who has to pretend to be the person who killed his son, like the person he's hated his entire life, and also being in a prison where there's a chance that he could spend his entire life there if things don't go right, and they sure don't. But I think he does a really good job of being John Travolta filtered through Nicolas Cage's face. Like I, it's I ca- so complicated. I know it's complicated. How nuanced. <laughs> And it is, though. I, I think it really is. The problem is I don't see Nicolas Cage in John Travolta's performance. I just see John Travolta being sort of like flamboyant, evil John Travolta. It doesn't come across to me as Nicolas Cage. I, I Honestly, it is a really hard thing to do, though, because they're such iconic faces. They are yeah. two A-list actors. At the height of their power, Exactly. So it is really hard to watch and try to, like, turn off that part of your brain that's like, oh, this is John Travolta, which I think is kind of working against you as an audience member. I will agree with you, though, with Nicolas Cage's performance. My favorite moments of those performances are not when he's trying to be, like, Sean Archer straight, Mm -hmm. but when Sean Archer is losing it a little bit because he's falling into, like, who Caster Troy is particularly the scene where he he has to do the drugs with the the friends. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's doing like the crazy eyes and like the <laughs> the the freaky Caster Troy mannerisms and shouting and moments and you could see in Nicolas Cage's performance that he's falling into it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the, the and- lines are blurring because one cuz he's he's on some kind of drug, but it's and how that's fucking with him mentally. Yes. And it's just like cuz every that time he looks into the one. mirror, he's oh. Seeing somebody else's like, face. What a bad, what a bad trip guaranteed. <laughs> if you fucking like you, you have to take this drug. You don't know what it is, and then you go to the bathroom and you're looking at your enemy's fucking face. It's crazy. Ugh. Maybe it's just star power. Don't get me wrong. Like that's that's probably just like the biggest quality they have going for them. Uh, you know, in in this role, but the fact that he can kill a kid, sexually assault a teenager, be an asshole to everybody, murder people indiscriminately, and then be incredibly sympathetic five minutes later is nuts. Like, I know that, you, you know, as the story goes, you're like, well, it's not technically the same guy. It's a different person. But, like, you're literally looking at the same face, you know? Like, yeah. pe- people's brains aren't as, like, 
high tech as we like to think they are. They're they're pretty they're pretty basic. You know, faces are things that we have a hard time getting over or forgiving, <laughs> or uh, you know, if we already hate them. Um, and Nicolas Cage just has that ability, and I think it's just in his expression because like you see pain in what he's doing. It's but but he has to like pretend to love it like so it's he's still doing the crazy Nicolas Cage thing but there's like this other layer where you can you can see as a viewer that it's a put on but he has to still kind of be level 10 like that's just that's just genius which is insane too because uh, like Nicolas Cage doesn't get a lot of credit for his acting prowess yeah he's often considered like oh Nicolas Cage can only do 11 but the fact that he can do this type of performance means that when he is 11, it is an intentional decision. Yeah, well, so it's and, just like, these are just the characters he likes, the performances he yeah. likes to do. Yeah, like, for a lot of people, it can be hard to do an 11. For Nicolas Cage, he's doing a nuanced 11. <laughs> How do you do that? It's insane. Uh, and I, I will say, too, to his credit, and the fact that both these actors are playing each other at different parts in the film, I don't think you could reverse them from the get-go. I don't think... Oh, like, you don't think that John Travolta could, uh, could John start John Travolta no. could not have been a caster. No, 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 no. They're, they're, they're absolutely in the right places. Exactly. Uh, something fun that I read was different actors they were considering for the roles before these two... Oh, I don't know about uh, this. And it would have been an entirely different, and I do not think an, a successful film, if they had of cast Arnold Schwarzenegger. Okay. And? Sylvester Stallone. Oh, that's weird. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the same guys. <laughs> but, you know, around that time, uh, Sylvester Stallone, not that he was really a villain in those movies, was playing, because I, I assume he would start as the bad guy. Like, he'd be in the Nicolas Cage role, probably, right? Oh, what a weird movie! Uh, but they, uh, Sylvester Stallone has played assassins in the in the mid nineties. But, but seeing them try to do another actor with a, a like very strong voice characteristics, like both mm. of them have very different dialects. Yeah, very very different dialects. <laughs> That's so true. <laughs> Which is just like, well, well, the the voice modulator will fix it all. <laughs> How's the voice modulator gonna make your tongue do those some of those sounds? And change your accent. Like, accent isn't done through your voice. It's done through your brain. Can you imagine Arnold Schwarzenegger with with Sylvester Stallone's voice coming out where he's trying to learn how to do Arnold Schwarzenegger? Like, okay, so instead of, I like to eat a peach for hours, we just need you to say, Get to the chopper! (laughs) And then uh, then you're good to go. Those are my cookies! (laughs) Yeah. Or you, you got to The trick is to try and do an. Put Arnold, the cookie down. You got to try and do an Arnold Schwarzenegger quote with Sylvester Stallone's voice. You got to be like, "It's not a tumor." <laughs> okay, but I know, I know that the script went through a shit ton of rewrites, so that was probably like an older version of the movie because John Woo kept turning this movie down. Yeah, apparently it was optioned since like 1991, and then uh, like it went from Warner Brothers to Paramount or vice versa. At one point, Johnny Depp wanted to play Castor Troy. Wow. But then he read the script and he was like, no, thank you. Wow. <laughs> Damn. Missed opportunity, buddy. It would have been great. But yeah, jo- John Woo kept turning it down and eventually they rewrote it for him. I think the problem is just that, you know, he tried to make Hard Target himself the way he would have made a movie and they fucked it up. And then he made Broken Arrow, which was like, you know, sort of playing to the crowd a little bit in that he's he's making a tamer American movie. I don't think he had a great experience with that. So he didn't want want to do that with Face Off and they they just kept rewriting the movie to make it more like a John Woo film and like good god I'm glad they took the time because this fucking movie's incredible 
One of the best scenes of the movie. Now, there's there's great scenes of Nicolas Cage just, like, looking into a mirror and seeing his villain's face and just, like, being completely fucked up by that. The be- One of the best scenes of the movie is when Caster Troy and Sean Archer are both taunting each other in the middle of a gunfight, and they're both on opposite sides of a wall, and when they turn to sort of shoot through the wall at each other, you see that it's a double-sided mirror, so they're pointing guns at, you know, their own faces, but in, in this movie, they're pointing a gun at the person that they actually want to shoot, which is fucking brilliant. John Woo makes a poetic gunfight like nobody's Business. Well, the final sequence is in a church with doves flying around. Like we we don't, we don't even mention that. I want to talk about that church sequence in a minute, but but this mirror thing. I want to at least let you know, not a not a uncommon move of John Woo. He's done that before. Like bad guys pointing guns at mirrors, like on opposite sides of mirrors, but. It takes a complete different turn when you, when they're wearing different faces. Like he fa- he found a way to use a move that he's done a few times before and make it mean something completely different. I think it's fucking genius. The fight in the church at the end of the movie, the beachside church is classic John Woo. Like we start with gulls everywhere. Oh, fucking, ah. Like we're at the we're at the waterfront, right? And then those gulls eventually turn to doves. <laughs> like <laughs> we we had to show where we were to justify why doves are here. If there are no doves in a gunfight, it's not a John Woo movie. It's classic. There, you've got religious imagery all over it. The funeral makes no sense, because this is for a CIA director who's died. Like, an old fucking 65, 70-year-old crotchety CIA director who's one of two actors from Fargo that's in this movie. Also is in The Family Man with with Nicolas Cage. Love that movie. Um, (laughs) The funeral looks like something you'd see in in Baz Luhrmann's Romeo and Juliet. Or The Crow, (laughs) yeah. It does not look like... It looks like a very hip funeral. Yeah, not a a military funeral at all. 22-year-old Latin gangster that just died. Yeah, very Romeo and Juliet. Yeah, not a... Yeah, like, this is Tybalt's funeral and we're gonna fight at it. Not the the 70-year-old pasty white guy. (laughs) But a great spot for for a funeral shootout. That leads to a boat chase. That leads to another fight sequence on the fucking ground. Yeah, this this movie is shooting on all cylinders. It's not even just like face swap movie. It's like face swap movie with set pieces. Incredible set pieces. They spend so much money blowing stuff up in this movie. It's it's absolutely insane. I don't like, the budget for the prison section of this movie is the budget for like five movies that we would cover on this podcast in a given year. And the, well, like the plane sequence, they like they blew up a. Pl- Plane in a in an air hangar. Yeah, like, now Christopher Nolan's the only guy that's allowed to do that, and he's <laughs> got to have two hundred million dollars to do it. The only thing that we haven't really talked about in this movie that is fucking great is the wife, because this guy who's wearing John Travolta's body is the person who killed her son and has ruined their family and their life. And he fucking sleeps with her. Like, and he he taunts Nicolas Cage with that too. Like, I gotta go home and fuck your wife. <laughs> and then he does. And then the moment that Eve, uh, you know, Sean Archer's wife, 
realizes that Nicolas Cage is her husband, which is the greatest like piece of dialogue where he's just like, oh, they swapped my face and then I did this and then they did that and then he took he killed everybody and took my face and she's like, we've been living together as husband and wife for a week. What an old timey way to be like, I fucked him. I fucked him. I fucked the guy that killed our son. Like if the, if this movie or at least that chunk of the movie was shot from her perspective, it'd be way creepier and way scarier because it's fucked. It is fucked. There's an entirely different movie that's just her like mental breakdown. Yeah, from that, right. After from this, that week in hell. After this ends, how does she go on? <laughs> and she's the, like now the adopted mother to his son, which is a whole other plot we have not even talked about. Yeah, so we discover that Caster Troy has a son. Um, and, and, you know, it's it's the that it's, looks like and is the, the same age as. It's Sean Archer's dead son. Yes, or at least the age that he was when he died. And uh, because the mother, you know, dies later in the movie, there's there's a whole thread of that about how he's really shitty to her when he's interrogating everybody and how he's going to get child services to take her kid away, even though she's she's a good mom who just, you know, happens to be running with a bad crowd. I don't know, though, because that whole sequence where they're doing the shootout in the bad guy's lair and she's there with her kid and they put headphones on and the kid's like listen to like, I don't know, like rainbows and sunshine. Shine. Mm-hmm. They're just tossing that kid back and forth through gunfight. The kid picks up Nicolas Cage's golden guns at some point and she's like, Don't touch those! And you're just like, ma'am, you should not have this son. She would love to have her kid in a more in a safer environment, Kim. You know, it's just like so you can only do your best. <laughs> you know, she's Get a waitressing job. Well, I think part of the problem is like we do establish the fact that Sean Archer has her his thumb on her fucking life. It's just like she can't get out from underneath the the fucking rock that she's under kind of because of him you know like she he's doing everything in his power to make her life a living hell because if she actually could uh you know afford a better lifestyle or move away from it then he wouldn't be able to tap her for information and squeeze her when he needs to. And, like, there's a whole moment where he's, like, really, really regretful of all the awful shit that he's done to her. I mean, like, I may be reading into this a little bit, but, like, that's that's what we're trying to get from it, is that he really regrets all the awful shit that he's done to her. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as an apology, you know, raises her son for her, which is the, is the son of the bad guy. It's, it's, it's kind of a, honestly, not a bad way to end the movie. Let's be it's real. It's weird, though. Ah, it's, it's great. It's a weird Band-Aid on a dead son. <laughs> it's a weird Band-Aid on a dead son. Even weirder than that, though, is that we have done nothing but, like, make the bad guy awful and evil and at every turn he's getting worse and worse and worse and then he's dead and he's back home same face it's me happy sun's behind me i'm i'm uh i'm the hero again like what a what a weird weird structure for a movie because the guy we care the most for throughout the whole film has nicholas cage's face exactly but but it's bookended by john travolta it's like he gets to just show up at the beginning and the end and be like it's my movie, guys. Like, I hate to tell you, John, it's Nicolas Cage's movie, even if you have top billing. <laughs> God, what a great movie. I love this fucking movie. One thing I did want to mention that we didn't really, we, we kind of glazed over him, is the actor that plays Castor Troy's brother, um, Pollux. Yes. He's not a huge character in the film. I guess he's, he's, got, a, he's got a good amount of, like, screen time. It's his first acting role. No fucking way. Yeah. I honestly think he is 
one of the best bits of casting in the whole film. He's every line he has is amazing. Like bye bye, bro. Oh, yes, <laughs> he, he he waves with his fucking pinky finger. But he looks like the brother that's like you know like holed up in his room building bombs. Like he, yeah, he just embodies that character so well. Oh, we didn't even talk about the fact that Caster Troy has this thing where like he takes care of his brother, he feeds him pills, he ties his shoelaces for him, and then later on when he dies, his shoelace is untied and he ties like instead of closing his eyelids like you would in a regular movie he ties Instead of touching the shoelace. his face inappropriately so that's the thing like so many people have weird little things that they do with their loved ones in this movie but they all they all kind of come back around and wrap up in 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 interesting ways he's yeah he's great in the movie the I'm, shoe I'm tying glad. cute the face touching not cute very weird but works totally works it's funny blink, that the face—it's fa—it's funny that the face touching thing is the weirdest thing in this high concept movie where people swap faces. The and, face touching and the butt smacking. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I—I I don't know. It's—it's it's all just like visual things that you could do. Like you could watch this. Like if English wasn't your first language and you didn't understand a word of the goddamn movie, I think you could watch it and completely understand what's happening. That's kind of like the brilliance of what John Woo can do because a lot of his a lot of his fight sequences have no dialogue, but they tell stories. Like that's he's he's a very visual filmmaker. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I gotta tell you, I don't know if you know this, he has a new movie coming out. They announced it in 2021. I think it might be coming out sometime this year called Silent Night. Joel Kinnaman's in it. He's the lead. No dialogue in the whole fucking movie. Whoa. It's a, it's a John Woo action movie about a guy who's going to like get revenge for his dead son. Surprise, surprise. Uh, but zero dialogue in the entire fucking movie. I can't wait. Wow. That's really cool. And it makes sense, too, because he's an international director. and He started in Hong Kong. So, like, it would make sense that when he moves to he moved to, like, American Hollywood cinema, that he still wants to make films that'll translate mm-hmm. uh, internationally. And, and action films really translate well. Oh, yeah. As international pictures. Absolutely. I think it's no surprise. This is a four out of four for me. Uh, if, if I could rate it higher, I would. It's a pure 100% movie. Uh, truly, truly one of the movies that made me, uh, even though it's not quite a horror movie. It's pretty fucking, it was, I don't know, like as a kid, I was just like, this is the greatest, goriest, fucking most violent thing I've ever seen in my entire life. <laughs> but it does a good job, like in the same way that the old, the old classic monster movies did, that you, you feel like you've been given all of the gore and the violence in those scenes just based on how they're shot. Like yeah. they don't necessarily need to show you Caster Troy smoking without a face very much for you to feel like you saw him without that face yeah, that whole yeah. scene. I do, I do you know, like I feel like a little bit of an idiot for not following that thread when you when you dropped it earlier. But like, yeah, if you watch this more like a monster movie, it makes complete sense. It's like it's a mad scientist movie. They're monsters. They're evil people. It's it's very operatic in how big and bad they are. And uh, and the score will tell you it's operatic. Oh fuck yeah, it will. <laughs> it's like a it's like a Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde story. If they were two separate people that were always trying to make sure one of them didn't exist. Ooh. Yeah. Like Harry Potter and Voldemort. <laughs> sure. <laughs> so what's yeah? How do you rate Face Off? Uh, I'm going to give it a three and a half out of four. Wow, the, the genuine actual surprise. I really thought this would be a four out of four from you. It's a four out of four in spirit. Okay, where's the where's the point five dip? Just personal preference? Yeah. Okay. Well, still a perfect summer movie, uh, blockbuster of the fucking year, 97. I don't know if that's actually true, but like, goddamn. It came uh, in 11th. It, it's, it also came out the same year that Titanic came out, though, so like, I mean, it did fine. <laughs> oh, I guess that's very true. Some stiff competition. And it came out the same year 
of the movie we'll be talking about next week. Maybe even more of a stretch than Face Off was. But the best double feature at the drive-in you could have in the summer of 97. And an actual genuine double feature you might have been able to do. They came out in the same month. Same fucking month. God, what a time to be alive. (laughs) Uh, Anyway, we'll be back next week to talk about that movie. In the meantime, let us know what you thought of Face Off on Twitter, at NOFS Podcast, or in the Nightmare on Film Street Discord. You can chat with us pretty much anywhere you can reach us. We'd love to talk to you about Nicolas Cage and Face Off. Our Discord is nofspodcast.com slash discord. And while you're at it, if you're a fan of Face Off and Nightmare on Film Street, give us a five-star rating wherever you listen to this podcast. Anywhere that you can rate this, please give it five stars. Give us a quick little review. Tell your friends and family and strangers on the internet why this is your second favorite movie podcast. If you want even more Nightmare on Film Street, consider joining us over on Patreon for bonus episodes and access to our monthly watch parties and more fun. That is at nofspodcast.com slash fiendclub. Until next time, I'm John. I'm Kim. Stay Stay creepy. It appears you made it out alive, but we'll get you next time. Help us to grow the horde. Leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you subscribe. More terror can be found lurking on our website, nofspodcast.com. Until next time, stay creepy, fiends.